You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. You can turn to the Gospel of John chapter 10 this morning. Gospel of John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a, a smartphone that can has internet access, you can go to uversion.com and get dialed in with a Bible there. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, on your way out, we have free Bibles available at the info table. So make sure on your way out after church, if you don't have a Bible, that's, that's our gift to you. We want to hook you up. And uh, there's free, co- free coffee afterwards as well. So if that's all you get this morning, praise God for God's word and caffeine. Amen? All the coffee drinkers in the house, say amen. Aloha and welcome to Shorebreak. My name is Travis and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I am so stoked, so privileged and honored that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning uh, here studying God's word with us. It's going to be a special time this morning. It's going to be a special message because we are reading God's word. And uh, we have been studying through the Gospel of John. And today is going to be the 27th message that we've studied uh, through the Gospel of John. Now, I know some of you have just dropped in last week. Maybe even some of you are new this morning. And so if you are new, I just want to say welcome. We are so stoked and excited to have you guys here this morning. And, uh, but we are in our 27th message in the Gospel of John through the study, which we've called Light Has Come. And that's because Jesus said, I, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And so we just stole what Jesus said and said, let's call this study Light Has Come. And, and, uh, and so all of our messages are online. If you want to get dialed in and play catch up, all of the messages are available online at our newly renovated website, shorebreakchurch.com. So if you have yet to check out shorebreakchurch.com, make sure you do that. You can learn more about who we are as a church. You can get dialed in with more info. You can uh, yeah, get connected with community groups. All of those things are there at shorebreakchurch.com along with all of our messages. And for those of you who were here last week, we would all agree and say that last week was special. Last Sunday was a special Sunday. It was the first time two churches have become one, Calvary Kona and Shorebreak. We become one church now, and today is our second Sunday gathering as, as one new church. And it was special, but we aren't finished yet. And we are just getting started because there is more glory due to Jesus' name uh, that, that we need to be a part of and that we want to do. And so it's time for us to roll up our sleeves. It's time for us to open up our hearts and lay our lives down at the, feet, at the foot of the cross and let Jesus the good surgeon do a work on all of our hearts this morning. Amen? Let's pray as we get into God's word. Jesus, we come before you and we dedicate our lives to you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you illuminate the areas that we need to be changed and transformed into your image? Jesus, we need you to show up. And as we see what you said 2,000 years ago, though they were said 2,000 years ago, they are just as real and applicable to our lives today. And I pray that we would be receptive. That as our Bibles are open, our hearts would be open to what you want to speak to us. God, give me the grace through your spirit to communicate what you communicated today to us. So thank you for this time that we've gathered as a church. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've called our message this morning, Jesus, God, and Eternal Security. Now, this isn't one of those messages. It's like, all right, week two into the merge of a church. All right, let's go. Let's, let's hit some controversial things that even among very godly Christians who all read the Bible believe. But this is something that is really like the first pill you swallow. Do you guys remember the first time you tried to swallow a pill? Some of you do. Some of you are just naturals at it. You just threw that pill in there and just chugged it. You know, you did it since you were three. The rest of us, 
I was, I was, I'm not even kidding, I was 17 by the time I swallowed my first pill. That's how afraid I was of swallowing pills. And you know, you think you're going to die. Or is it going to get stuck? Am I going to choke? What's going to happen? Well, this message is kind of like the first pill maybe for some of us. Even as I was studying it, looking at the words of Jesus, it, it's, it's comforting, but it's intense. It's true, but it's also difficult to swallow at times. But we're going to preach through God's word. I want you to know that. We're not going to hold back. We're going to boldly proclaim everything Jesus says. We are. And so uh, what, the things that Jesus talks about here, um, even among Christians, are controversial. But, but we're, we're going to study it and we're going to examine it and we're going to apply it to our lives because we believe that Jesus is alive and his word is real. And so I pray that, that you would open up the ears of your heart to listen to some of the things that Jesus is speaking. Because uh, when we open the Bible, God speaks. And for, for many of you, as you look in, in John chapter 10, you see a lot of, of red letters. Those are things that Jesus is speaking directly. Now, we believe that the entire wor- the Bible is God's word, but uh, also these words here that we will soon read and read are Jesus directly speaking and so whatever jesus takes time to talk about and emphasizes that's what we're going to take time and emphasize so i had you turn to john chapter 10 start in verse 22 at that time of the feasts of dedication took place at jerusalem it was winter and jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, or Solomon's porch, some of your translations would say. And so the Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So Jesus here is still having this conversation with the religious people. And they're like, hey, Jesus, can you just do us a favor? Stop giving us all these illustrations. Stop using stories. Just tell us who you are. Tell us plainly who you say that you are. Tell us straight up who you are. Because there is still a debate among these religious people. Some want him stoned. They've tried to stone him two times before. And and so they want him dead. And others say, well, I mean, we, we should hear this whole guy's testimony and this whole guy's story. And so what these religious Jewish leaders are doing is calling him out publicly and saying, all right, Jesus, say who you are, because if they can get him publicly to speak heresy and claim that he is God, then they can stone him publicly, and that's what they want to do. And so here Jesus is going to bring it. He, there's no holding back. There's no censorship here, just pure truth. And, if, and, and, and the great thing about this is Jesus is never going to let us walk away wondering who he is. He's going to make it clear who he is. And you think, why is this such a big deal? Come on, like, really? Why spend so much time? I mean, there's 27 messages and we're in John 10, right? We still got more ways to go. Why spend so much time on Jesus? Why is it so important that we examine and look at who Jesus really is. Here's why. Because you never fully know who Jesus is. You never fully know who Jesus is. There is more of Jesus to know than what you and I know of him right now. There are more depths to explore and more things to learn about Jesus who is God than what you and I know. Paul made that clear. If you're taking notes, write this down. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he said this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Eugene Peterson wrote of this verse. He said, we don't yet see things clearly. We are squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. So right now, we see through a glass dimly, like tinted windows on a car. We cannot see Jesus in true, full, technicolor. 
And the reason we are spending time gazing at the explicit truth of Jesus is because as we look to Jesus and as we examine Jesus, we are set freed from our sin and we are set freed from ourselves and that we desperately need so badly. We all do. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Luke uh, or John 8. Turn back two chapters, John chapter 8. Verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. So as you look at Jesus, as you know the truth of Jesus, even as we're looking through this glass dimly, Jesus is like, you can, you can still know me, but there's more to know about me. The more you know Jesus, the more free you and I become. And as Christians, we should measure our growth by, in Christ by the amount of liberty we dwell in. Oftentimes what we do is like, all right, hey, I, I've, I mean, I got another badge on, you know, my, my thing right here, and, and, uh, and, and I've reached varsity-level Christianity. I'm done. I, I got this Jesus thing down, right? And so what we do oftentimes is we become religious, and then we say, oh, well, because I've attained this far, we measure our spirituality by not how much liberty we dwell in, by how much restriction we live under, right? It's like, oh, look how mature I am. You saw that movie? You know what that movie was rated? PG. I only watch G, fool. Come on, right? You're like, I, I didn't know. And then you say, well, you can't go see a rated R movie. Now, of course, there are, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. There are definitely movies you should not go out and see. There, sh- there are, but, but oftentimes, what do we do? The religious people will say, well, I only see, the only rated R movie I've ever seen is The Passion of the Christ. And that's it. Like, that's somehow the exception. But then, I mean, it's like we, we, what we do is we oftentimes, well, as I've grown and matured in Christ, here is my limitations, and as I look at my limitations, I stand on top of them, peering down, looking at everyone in my own pride. I've done that. I have so done that, especially when I was a brand new Christian in junior high. I looked at my sister, and I was like, you listen to Britney Spears? Repent. I would still hold true to that statement today, maybe a little. We measure our growth in Christ by the amount of liberty we dwell in. And you know what? It's so sad. I've talked to people who do not go to church at my work and out there, and and you guys have too, and and what do they say? Say, yeah, Christianity, what what is the first thing they think about Christianity? Rules. They don't think about freedom. They don't think about grace. They don't think about, oh, yeah, you're forgiven from your sins, and you have a life, an abundant life. You have heaven waiting for you on the other side of death. They instantly think of rules. Jesus always deals with the heart first, and then the other things take care of themselves over time. The more you know Jesus, the freer you become. And and you know, this is is a theme that is going to be reoccurring throughout the Gospel of John. In fact, we're going to fast forward um, to verse 38 and look at the back of the book, so to speak. You guys remember in the back of the book in high school? Um, there, the answers in the, are in the back of the book for math. I use that so much. And that, they call that cheating. Here we call it context. Um, but it's good. I mean, this is, it's a good thing to do this. It's verse 38. Oh, we'll actually start in verse 37 so we can see entirety of what Jesus is saying here. He says, verse 37, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Underline this, that you may know in your Bibles. Go ahead, underline that, take note of that, right next to that, this, if you can spell it, gonosko. That is fancy word in the original text. Gnosko, which means this. Write this down. That word to know means to currently know and to be knowing. To know and to be 
knowing. That word gnosko is used in Psalm 26, if you're taking notes. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus used that word gnosko as well. Um, Jesus said, many people are going to stand before me one day and say, Father, look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the great works that I've done. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never gnoskoed. I never knew you. Jesus never knew and continuously was knowing those people. Or, or Genesis 4, it's used. Genesis 4, we were told that uh, Adam knew Eve and she bore Cain. Like, that's kind of awkward, right? Gnosko. She, she, Adam and, and, and Eve knew each other physically, and out of them knowing each other, there was born a child. So this word gnosko is, is knowing and, or is to know and to be continuously knowing. And so then you throw that back in, understanding that now in verse 38. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Jesus is saying, believe the works that you may know and continuously be knowing that the Father in is in me, and I am in the Father. Jesus is saying here, you are never done knowing me. It's going to take all eternity to know me, and right now we see through a glass dimly, but you do not. If you think you've arrived and you think you know Jesus fully, you are just getting started. You are just at the tip of the iceberg. You've just tasted a bit of the sampling of the whole buffet that Jesus has of himself to offer you because you never fully know who Jesus is. There is more of Jesus than what you and I know right now to explore, to know, to press into, which means this, that there is more freedom for us in the future as we know and continuously grow and know Christ. He is going to continuously be setting you more free as you gaze at his explicit life-giving grace. Let what you know about him drive you to love him more, though. So many people know him, but they don't know him, right? Don't just know him up here to let your intellect drive your heart into pressing further into knowing him personally. Jesus doesn't want your religion. He wants your relationship. He wants your prayer. He wants your conversation. He loves you. And but the religious Jews, what do they say? Yeah, don't give us these illustrations, Jesus. Come on, just tell us straight out. As if he hasn't made it obvious enough, right? For them, it's not knowing it's not no to, to be knowing, but for them it's no to, for the purpose of killing. That's, what, that's why they want to know. They're letting their intellect drive Jesus to the point of ultimately crucifixion. Don't let that happen to you. Verse 25, Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe that the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not a part of my flock. My Sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what Jesus is saying here, I want you guys to see this. He's like, what more could you possibly want from me? Have I not made myself available to you? I've answered your questions. I've done great things. What more could they possibly want from Jesus? And I think so oftentimes we have to ask ourselves the same questions. What more could we possibly want from Jesus? He is enough. Jesus is enough. We don't have to move past him. We just need to move further into him. I mean, for crying out loud, these guys are like, could you just stop using all these illustrations and get straight up with us? So Jesus is like, look at my works. The blind see. The crippled walk. People have been forgiven of their sins. I myself said, in fact, we just studied uh, last week, earlier in John 10, Jesus said, I am the door of salvation. I am the good shepherd. What else do you possibly need to know? But I love it because he is still being patient with them. You see that? He is being patient with them. He is being patient with them. He's being patient with them. He's like giving you this invitation. I'm still offering myself to you. But what they did is not 
let what they knew of Jesus drew them closer, but it drove them mad, as we will soon read. So Jesus is like, hey, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And let, as we read verse 28, let these words of Jesus penetrate your hearts. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Absolutely life-changing. And, and honestly, I, I've, uh, I've taught Bible studies at college groups that, that as we'll talk about in a minute, I, I've taught this otherwise, but let this truth settle in. And as we're going to examine and pull apart what Jesus says, there are three things about this life Jesus is talking about here that he has towards his sheep that you need to write down. Three things about this life that Jesus has for his sheep. And the first is this, if you're taking notes, write this down. It is given. It is given. Look at verse 28 again. Who gives? I give. Jesus says, I give. Jesus gives life. Jesus causes life to happen. But that's what we said last week as we studied in John 10, 10, right? I came that what? You may have life and have life more abundantly. And it's love. Jesus like, I came that you may have life. I came to give you life. This life isn't something you can work for. And what do we do? We try to work for this life. How can I get this life? How can I earn this life? But it's something that is simply given to you. Jesus says in verse 28, I give. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And as he came, he came and laid his life down and raised his own life from the grave for your sake and for my sake so that we could have life. And this all goes to show that life isn't something you achieve. It is something you simply receive. You do not achieve eternal life. You receive eternal life. And some are like, I have a problem with that. Well, this truth is infused throughout all scripture. Uh, write this down, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Jesus says this, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And what is faith? This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. You can't earn this. It's something that's received so that no one may boast. It's a gift. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you are justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. When Jesus says in verse 20, I give, that's exactly what Romans 3 is saying. That we are justified by what? His grace and that grace is a gift through the vehicle of Jesus Christ. Another reference here, Romans 6.23. I know this is thick, but this is so huge and life-changing. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How about the most famed verse in the entire Bible? You know it, John 3.16. For God so what? Love the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. He gave his own son. This life that Jesus gives is a gift. And you guys, this is so important for us to understand this. Because we need to get off the pedestal thinking that you and I are a gift to God. You are not a gift to God. I am not a gift to God. God is a gift to you. And when I first got saved, I prayed the prayer and I was at church and 
It's like, God is so lucky to have me. Look at me, God. What was he thinking, right? We are not a gift to God, but God is a gift to us. And what what is the result then of understanding? What is the impact? What are the implications of understanding that this gift that Jesus gives? If you love Jesus, then he loves you with all the love that he has for you already. That's what that means. If you love Jesus, he already loves you with all the love that he has for you already. And some of us, what we often do is say, well, if I just be obedient, he's holding back some of his love. And then when I finally obey, then the floodgates of his love will pour out a little bit more. And then as I obey more, then the more floodgates of love. And then as I obey more, more love. No, no, no. He already loves you with all the love that he has towards you because he gave it to you. You can never earn it in the first place. And as born-again Christians, we work out of this gift, but we do not work for this gift. Because of what Jesus has done, in response to this gift, we're like, I can't wait to read the Bible. I can't wait to go to church. It's not an obligation, but it's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege. So Jesus says, I give. The second thing we see is this, about this life that Jesus gives Write this down. It is eternal. It is eternal. I give them, verse 28, eternal life. He doesn't just give life, but he gives eternal life. Jesus doesn't give you life so you can lose it. Did you know that's actually what Satan does, right? Jesus is like, I'm going to give you life so then you can lose it. That's the job of Satan. That's what, in fact, Jesus contrasted that in John 10, 10. Jesus said, hey, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And what Satan does oftentimes is, what he does is he makes that thing of stealing, killing, and destroying. He doesn't like, it doesn't have like a skull on it. It doesn't have a package like this will destroy your life. It actually looks like it's life. It looks beautiful on the outside. It's like a malasada, right? You guys had, a, you guys, uh, how many, show of hands, how many have had malasadas? All right. J- the rest of you, repent and go and get a malasada because, come on, those things are so good, aren't they? Can I get an amen from, uh, are malasadas good? I mean, those things are wonderful. I mean, you look at them, they just sit there and all their innocence and they, they, they're deep fried. They have that sugar coating on top. They even have other flavor. I mean, that is just, it's, they're beautiful. And they are amazing. And when you look at that thing, it has life. But the moment you bite that malasada, I'm telling you, you the only life a malasada ultimately brings is heartburn, indigestion, and loss of years on your life. Seriously. I mean, and I eat them for God's glory. But I'm telling you, Whatever you do, eat or drink, do it all for the glory. I, I, malasadas are, are, they look beautiful. They're packaged so nicely, but you know what? It destroys you. It just, it just takes you out, takes years off your life. See, that, that, that's what the devil does. He's like, all right, here, here, here's this thing. It's got sugar on it. It's deep fried. It's beautiful. And then you take a bite of it, boom. He came to steal, kill, and destroy, not Jesus. Jesus came so we would have life. But the life Jesus gives is eternal. It is unending. It is everlasting. What does that mean, everlasting? Without end. It is absolutely no end to the life that Jesus gives. There's no limitations to this eternal life he has. Go back to John three sixteen. right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have temporary life everlasting life. And who gives this everlasting life? Jesus says, I give them. Verse 28, it's right there. This eternal life from the believer comes from Jesus. This life isn't temporary. It is everlasting. And because it is everlasting, the third thing we see is it's secure. It is is secure. 
I'll let Jesus speak because some, some very godly people that I even know that I'm friends with don't hold to this, but Jesus says this. I give them eternal life in verse 28. They will what? Never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is like, my dad in heaven is so huge, is so strong, he is so greater than all, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. You are eternally secure. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. And you know what, here's the thing. Honestly, I taught, uh, uh, when I was interning as a pastor and I was teaching a college group. You know what I told everyone? I told people, yeah, this salvation thing, you screwed up really bad. You might want to say this in his prayer again because maybe his life isn't really that eternal. It's eternal if you make it past death, but up, to, up until then, it's not eternal. And I wish I could go back and tell all those people I was wrong because of what Jesus says here. It's eternal. It is, it is unending. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. And I love that Jesus uses this, this, this poetry of calling God a father. Isn't that wonderful? Because God is more than just a father. He is a provider. He is a judge. I mean, no one wants to go camping with a judge, right? Have you ever gone camping with a judge? No, but you could probably go camping with your father, right? So Jesus who uses this 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 poetry and this, this description of, of God as our Abba, as our Father. Whenever I uh, take my two older boys out surfing, I have three boys um, in our house. They're all five and under, so you can pray for my wife. There's a lot of testosterone in our house. A lot. No, there's not a boring day in our household, but the two older boys are, one's almost four and the other one's five. Um, whenever we go out surfing, it's always a fun time for me, and they enjoy it, but they're stressed, right? Because I'm trying to get them more accustomed to being in the water, and so we'll put on their life vest, and we'll go out. We got the, the foamy, and, and, and we're paddling out. And, and one thing my older son, Sebastian, says, because he likes to go a l- little bit more than the younger one, um, he always asks me, hey, hey, Daddy, you got me, right, Daddy? I was like, yeah, like, what am I going to do? Let you float? <laughs> Let you get, like, Wash up on the reef? Of course I got. Yeah, I got you. And so we'll be paddling out, and the waves will be coming. It's like one to two foot one day, and Sebastian's like, Daddy, Daddy, you got me, right, Daddy? I'm like, yes, Sebastian, I will not let you go. And so we'll be paddling for a wave and turn around, and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, you got me, right, Daddy? And every time he says that, I'm like, Sebastian, I will not let you go. I'm not going to let you go. And then one day we were out, the surf started to pick up, and it was like two to four feet, and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, right, you got me, right, Daddy? And he didn't say anything. He's like, Daddy! I was like, Sebastian, I am not going to let you go. It's not happening. I'm not going to let you go. When you get that phone call that that person is ill and they're sick, when you get laid off from work, when you fall into horrendous sin, When you screw up your life, you make a mess of it. That depression hits. Isn't that the cry of our soul? Daddy, you still got me, right? And your heavenly father, if you are a Christian, says to you, calls you out by name, I am not going to let you go. It's not going to happen. I'm not letting you go. I mean, if me as an earthly father to keep track of my own kids. Some of them I have to constantly hold their hand. Like, you're not going anywhere. I can trust you. I cannot trust you, right? Jesus knows. He's got you. He is not going to let you go. He wants you to know that. You guys see that? He's emphatically stating that in these verses. Three times he's letting us know as his shepherd, as daddy, that you are safe in the hands of Jesus. Your life is safe in the hands and in the care of Jesus. Find comfort in that. And Jesus says, not only are you safe in my hands, but you're safe in God's hands. 
we both got you. And I'm greater than all, God would say. And no wave, no trial, no sin can overtake me. And oftentimes, we sin so bad and we think, oh my gosh, I blew it. It's, it's, it's done. I so screwed this up. It is over. No one can overpower God and snatch you from his hand. Not even sin. That is for the believer. So what Jesus is saying here is, can you lose your salvation? No, you cannot. Now, I know for some, you, you think, well, I, I don't agree with you. And listen, let me just say this. Let me just say this. You can still come to this church and not hold to this view. We're a family. We all have different opinions of what Scripture says. Um, I believe that Jesus is making this emphatically clear. And there are some areas that, that we will not divide over. Jesus is God, close-handed. Salvation comes through faith alone, through grace alone, and God alone. Close-handed issue, no doubt about that. Some of you won't agree with that. I'm just going to say, listen, you, you, can, you can believe that you can lose your salvation and still call this your church, but I want you to know that this is what Jesus is saying. Because it didn't depend on you in the first place. It was a gift, right? And you can't ungift a gift that you never earned. And you can't unearn an un unfavored gift that was given to you. You never earned it. It was unmerited for you. You can't unmerit something that's unmerited. You never deserved it in the first place. Many of you are totally confused now, but it's all right. Now, let me just say this, though. On this topic, a lot of times they'll think, well, man, I mean, I know, I know some people who profess to be, to, to be a Christian, to love Jesus, and look at the way they're living. Listen, I don't know. There is a mystery to salvation we will never know until we are on the other side of glory. But for what we do know is this. Whether they are the prodigal or they really never knew him, repentance is key. That's what Martin Luther said when he Nailed the 99th thesis on the doors of the Catholic Church. He said that the Christian life is one to be summed up of a life of continuous repentance. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, well, I don't even know if I'm saved. Here's the deal. Repent. I don't know Jesus. Repent. I've been a Christian for 35 years, 40, 50 years. Praise God. Repent. <laughs> the life, our Christian life is one made up of repentance, but you cannot lose your salvation. He isn't going to let you go. He finished what he started. He will finish it. So I say to you, keep going. Don't quit. He doesn't condemn you, even though the devil condemns you. Maybe you condemn yourself. He doesn't condemn you if you are a Christian. So keep going because we are in the grips of our heavenly father. And I believe Jesus wants some of you to know today that he wanted you and a family with all of your failures. Some of us think, right? I got to clean myself up and then... I am approved. He gifted you his love just because he loves you. Not because how dirty or perfect you are. What love is this, huh? I mean, to what extent is this unfathomable love go to? To the point where God would give up his own son to be crucified and killed to this, right? That is how much Jesus loves you. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. God was willing to go this far of, to the point of crucifixion because he loves you that much. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus loves you. He does not condemn you. But I have to say this disclaimer. This promise is only for the believer in Jesus Christ. Don't take this promise as a non-believer and say, oh, for me too, right? No. No. Verse 30. Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. This is, this, is, this is good. This is just good straight-up theology right here, right? I and the Father are one. So what Jesus is saying here is, my identity is rooted in the Trinitarian God, 
he being one of the persons, one of the three persons existing from eternity past with God. That's what Jesus is saying here. He put his identity in the Father. And Jesus says here, I and the, and the Father are one. And so for those people who say, yeah, there's no trinity in the Bible right here. Because we see God the Father, God the Son. And you can go back, John chapter 1. The whole John chapter 1 is about the spirit of, of God. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about the spirit of God moving and doing works in people's lives. So see this. Jesus, is, his identity is rooted in God the Father, God the Son, because he is the Son, and, and, and God the Holy Spirit. All eternally existing as one God in three persons, the Trinity. Now this is important because Jesus did not live in isolation, did he? He lived in community. Jesus lived in open community with the Father and with the Spirit. And Jesus operates within unity as one in the Father and the Spirit. And God dwells, as we just said, as one and three persons in community. And Genesis one twenty seven, write that down. What does it tell us? That we were made in the image and the likeness of who? Of God. So you were made, I was made, in the image and the likeness of God, according to Genesis one twenty seven. Well, what is the image and the likeness of God? The Trinity. Community. One body existing with multiple members. Since we were made in his image, just as the Father, Son, and Spirit, we were made to live life with others in community as one body. And this is where Jesus places identity. And this is where we should place our identity. And Jesus is God. And in doing so, as we place Jesus as God, and as we put our identity in Jesus as God, we must understand we should not place our identity and how many Facebook friends we have, right? I know someone who constantly changes their Facebook profile picture just so they can get more likes. Like, that's an identity issue, right? Like, the more likes I have, the more I am loved, and that's where I find my identity in my Facebook likes. Some find their identity in the way that they look, and they obsess over the way they look, and they spend hours in the mirror, and because their identity is rooted in the way they look, for some, their identity is rooted in, in their singleness. Like, man, I'm just single, and, and that is my identity, and I hate my identity. I want to change my identity. Others have put, put their identity in marriage, and they're thinking, I wish I was single, right? If I could just be single, and then some place their identity in grandkids. Here's my identity. Let me tell you, this is how many grandkids I have, and grandkids are great, and grandkids are awesome, but that cannot be a place where any of those things where we place our identity and as a church, I want you guys to know, this is seriously where we put some tread on our theology. This is where we put some traction to what we believe. Uh, because Jesus was made in the image of likeness of God, dwelling in eternity past for community. That is why as a church, we have community groups. And we're not just saying, oh yeah, this is kind of a cool thing we do. No, no, honestly, listen, our community groups, I'm not going to say it's the best thing you've ever gone to. I'm not going to say, um, you go to a community group, man, the rest is history. Listen, Community groups aren't perfect, but they, were, they, they are there and they are the vehicle of which God allowed us to do life with other Christians on mission. And that is our identity. It's to be dwelling in community with one another. And when we live in community with other believers, our life is reflecting that of the Trinitarian God. So I would encourage every single one of you guys, honestly, like it's not just something we do. It really is who we are. We are made in the image of likeness of God and that is why we do community. So Jesus says to us, I and the Father are one. You are safe because I am protecting you and my Father in heaven is protecting you. Let's look at verse 31 here. So the Jews, what did they do? Gotta love this. They picked up the stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, of which of them are you going to stone me for? The Jews answered him, It is not for good works that we are stoning you, but for blasphemy, 
because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. So what the Jews are hearing and claiming Jesus to say is that Jesus is God. That is the accusation. And does Jesus apologize as they're picking up stones? Does Jesus apologize? Oh, I am so sorry. I did not mean to call myself God, right? I mean, what if that was today, right? And one of you guys came up here and you said, I am the promised Messiah. I am God. And we're like, oh, are you really? And we all pull out like tasers or something, right? Are you sure about that? (laughs) Really, are you sure? Because we can do this right now. We're like, oh, no, never mind, never mind. I don't want to get tased. I don't want to get messed. Uh, I'm I'm fine. These guys have stones in their hands, and they're ready to take out Jesus, and Jesus, he changes his mind. He doesn't. He doesn't apologize because he and the Father are one. And so now for the third time, they will try to stone him because he is tried for heresy. And why will Jesus eventually be hung on a cross? Is it because he did good works? Is it because blind people can see? Jesus will be hung on a cross of none of those things. Jesus will be hung on a cross because he claimed to be God. And here we are 2,000 years later and there's an empty, stinking tomb. <laughs> and some of you, maybe you've wondered, man, I like, I, I hate God, Right? Maybe some of you have been forced to come to church because your parents want you to be here and maybe you want nothing to do with God or maybe you've just come here because you were entertained and you go home and make fun of everything I say and then you come back next week just because you find pleasure in it and praise God for that. If you keep coming back, praise God. Let me say this. It's not too late for you. Jesus here, we just read, Jesus just gave them the invitation and as he's giving them the invitation, they got their tasers behind their back. They're ready to stone him and take him out. Jesus is still giving them an opportunity. They want him dead, and Jesus is like, still breathing, there is still hope. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. Now what Jesus is doing is he's he's literally just going to pull them on a rabbit trail and totally confuse their intellect, because I love it, because he can do that, because he's awesome like that. If you call them gods, then to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him of whom the Father consecrated and sent you to the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands, and he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the first, and he remained there. I love what Jesus, Jesus is like, he's inviting them. And today I believe Jesus is inviting you. He's saying, think about that person, you know, whose life was totally radically transformed. Think about the fact that a man who has been blind from birth can now see. Think about the fishes and loaves. Five loaves, two fish. Fed 5,000 people. Right? Think about, as we're soon going to read, him raising Lazarus from the dead. Just think about any one of these things Jesus is pleading with these people. And maybe as you saturate your mind in these miracles, you will see me as God. And so Jesus is here. He's buying time from them. It's like, my works aren't evil. Like, he's like, you want to stone a guy for doing good things? Go ahead, stone him. Right? In fact, I read this week, I could not believe it. Um, I read this week about an article. It was uh, titled, Non-Believers Taking College Campus by Storm. Um, so this, this month at the University of Illinois, a select group of students will show their humanitarian spirit by participating in the Bleeding Heathens Blood Drive. On February 10th, they will eat cake to celebrate Darwin Day. And earlier this year, they performed de-baptism 
ceremonies to celebrate Blasphemy Day. They attended a war on Christmas party. They set up hug an atheist and ask atheist booths and the campus squad. Like, de-baptisms, right? I mean, come on, how, how crazy is that? Heathen blood drive day. I mean, those are some crazy, those are some pretty, that's just not, okay, I, I stand in my atheistic position. That's like evangelist atheist, right? I mean, that, that's, this is some evil works, and it's not like Jesus here is having any bleeding heathen blood drives or de-baptisms. Jesus is like, just look at any of my core works, and at, at, at the, the center of everything I'm doing, at the center of every good thing is done in your life, you should see Jesus. Don't get caught up in the miracle. Don't get caught up in anything. I'll see Jesus for who he is. That's what he's saying here. And Jesus made himself obvious so that no soul on judgment day is without excuse. And you've heard from an intellectual standpoint, I mean, my own life is a testimony. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus I prayed. I remember praying because I was raised up in a Christian home. I seriously remember praying, God, let me just finish high school and get through college and party as wild and as crazy as possible. Then you can have me. So the invitation went out, and this would be the last of this invitation Jesus would ever give to these religious people until he hung on the cross. So where did Jesus go out from here? They're trying to wrestle him. I don't know if Jesus took wrestling in high school. You know, I mean, he wrestled Jacob in the Old Testament, so I'm pretty sure he's really good at it because he's God. And verse 40 he got away, he escaped from their hands, so he won the wrestling match, and he went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained, and many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And, but there's good ending here, guys, verse 42, and what? And many believed in him. Many believed in him. I love that. John's legacy of the gospel is still intact. And just so you guys know, check this out. Is John the Baptist alive at this point? His head was chopped off and served on a silver platter to Herod's wife. So th th he, he's gone. But his legacy lived on. Lives were still changed. And revival broke out near the Jordan. Revival didn't break out. In Jerusalem where Jesus was, but it broke out in Jordan. And, I, and, I, and, I, and in closing here, let's just think about this. What is Jesus looking for in revivable people? I mean, he, he wants to revive. The Bible tells us that on the last days he's going to pour out his spirit. What, it, what do a revivable people look like? Well, this, this guy Jesus was talking about here, John, who is actually Jesus' cousin, uh, John the baptizer, this guy is, is crazy. The Bible tells us that he, he ate locust and honey. That was his diet. Today, that's like drinking Red Bull and eating cockroaches, okay? This guy had some issues. He dressed weird. Um, he said crazy things. He called the Jewish religious leaders snakes. Um, his PR was great. Um, but what was it in John's life, in these people's life, that many believed in him there? See, what the Holy Spirit does is when the Holy Spirit comes upon our life and we are willing to humble ourselves like John, John said, his prayer was that I would decrease and that he would increase. That is where God pours out his spirit. That is where God is going to do a work. That is where God transforms our lives. Because what the Holy Spirit does is draw attention away to ourself. It makes us dump our own love. It makes us dump to the wayside our own glory. It makes us dump to the side our own self-attention, all for God's glory. That's the work of the Spirit. In fact, I would say that many churches today, even here in Kona, are like, well, yeah, you've got to get, get the Holy Spirit. You've got to sense the work of the Holy Spirit. The greatest work of the Holy Spirit is, is pointing to Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled church is the one that points to Jesus Christ the most, and I would say that is true of the personal life of, a, of, of any believer. 
the most spirit-filled people are the ones who make much of Jesus. And that is why Jesus did a great work there, because the people inclined their ear, they stepped down as Jesus increased, like Jesus, do a great work in our midst. We want you to. And that is why Jesus went to that place, and that is why many believed. Because John was one busy pointing to Jesus. John was just a pointer. He was just a reflector. He was just the one who's like, he's the way. Go to him. And I would say that right now in this moment, if you are sitting and you are hearing my voice, if you haven't heard much, let me just say this. Jesus is, is, is giving an invitation. Just like this text offered an invitation, Jesus wants to give you life, eternal life, so that you'd be secured in his arms. And that changes everything, doesn't it? Because your foundation is new. It's not built on sand anymore. It's built on the rock of Jesus Christ. And when the storms hit, your foundation is unshakable. It can never be moved. It can never be changed because you are built on Jesus who never changes, who stands his ground, who fights on your behalf. And if you hear his voice, respond to him in faith and believe in him because he offers eternal life. Believe in Jesus Gnosko, right? For all of us in here, don't just know Jesus, but continuously be knowing him deeper, further, more intimately, more greater. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this time that we have to study your word and to, to, to know that no one can snatch us from your hand. God, you came to give us eternal life. Thank you for that eternal life. Thank you that you aren't a mean God. Thank you that you aren't out to mess us up and destroy our lives, but that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. I pray that for all of us in here, that we would meditate on the things that you've said, Jesus, that came out of your mouth that you are the good shepherd and the sheep know your voice and that we are secure because you gave us eternal life. For every person in here with every head bowed and with every eye closed, as you've heard the gospel go out and you've heard the truth of God being proclaimed and maybe you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you realize that Jesus right now is giving you that eternal life that he promised. And in this moment, you are believing him. If God is doing that work in your heart right now, respond to him in faith. Put your trust in him. Believe that Jesus can save you from your sin. Because our sin has separated us from God and separated us from eternity with him forever. The Bible says that whoever confesses their sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse you and to forgive you from all unrighteousness. If you are in here right now, and I know some of you, but I don't know some of you, for every person, for every soul that is in this theater, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you want to respond to the gospel and putting your faith in Jesus, go ahead and raise your hand up in the air in response to what he has done. Just shoot your hand up in the air. There is absolutely no shame in it. If God is doing that work in your life, praise him for it. Go ahead and raise your hand up in the air. God bless you. I see your hand. Go ahead and put your hand down. If there's anyone else You realize the work that Jesus has done for you. Go ahead and raise your hand up in the air. God bless you guys. You put your hands down. The Bible says, with every head bowed and eye closed still, I want you to know, the Bible says for those that raise their hand, that belief in Jesus Christ is more than just an intellectual thing, but it's realizing that he saved you from your sin. 
And it's realizing that you can drink deeply from him and that he wants to be the Lord over your life. And what you're saying is, as he is saving you, you say, you know what, Lord? I want you to take the reins of my life. I put my faith and my trust in you. So if that is you right now in this moment, let's respond in a prayer to the work that Jesus has done. You can pray this directly to him. Say, dear Jesus, take my heart. Take my life. I am all of you. Take all of me. Would you cleanse me? Would you restore me? I put my faith in you. Forgive me of my sin and help me to forgive other people's sin that's been done towards me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's put our hands together for those who... For those who raised their hands, um, I just want to say um, that when one person comes to repentance, that the Bible says that there are angels, a party breaks out in heaven. So this, this was a week party here today. Like they're, they're going wild in heaven. And uh, the angels are celebrating because the family of God is growing. And, and this isn't a works thing. This is a faith thing. This isn't a religious thing. This is a relationship thing. And so I want to encourage you to continue in prayer and in communion with God. And I want all of you guys to know this is a safe place to bring your friends and your family and your coworkers and whoever else you can bribe to drag here because the gospel is going to go out. All right? It's going to go out. And there will be an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel and faith. In fact, this gospel that we just studied today, John wrote this gospel, the Apostle John, who he described himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote this so that you may believe. And believing is happening, I hope, in the hearts of believers and even in the hearts of new believers today. So what we're going to do now is um, in celebration, all of us in celebration of what God has done, we're going to move now into a time of taking communion together for a church as the first time. And for some of you as, as new believers today, you're taking communion moments after you got saved. Praise God for that. That is awesome. Jesus, before he died, before he was crucified, was in an upper room with his disciples. And he told them that he was going to be leaving them and that he was going to send the Holy Spirit as a helper. And that when he is apart and when he is away, you can take this bread and this cup that are representative of my body and my blood that have been broken and that have been shed for the remissions, for the forgiveness, for the complete destruction of your sin. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So today, we're going to do that. We're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has done. And we're going to have two pastors up front here in a moment when the, when the worship begins to play. We're going to have two songs here in closing. And during the first song, I want you guys to, um, to come up and to take the bread. And I don't know how you, you've all done it before. And, um, but what we're going to do is, um, this is for the believer. If, if, you, if you are not a believer, you are drinking wrath and judgment, extra wrath and judgment upon yourself. But for the believer, this is for you. And if you're visiting, it doesn't matter what church you're from, we believe that there is one church, ultimately, and it's Jesus' church. And so you are more than welcome to, to partake in communion with us. We're gonna have two pastors up front here during the two closing songs. And in this time of worshiping through song and remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, once when they come up here and the song plays, you can all get up out of your seats during the first and song. And um, you can take that bread and dip it in the juice. And walk back to your seat. And before you take it, just meditate on the, the, the sacrifice Jesus did for, for you and for God. And as you take that bread, whenever you feel led in your own seat, you remember what he has done. 
we'll close in, in two last songs here. And so let us all stand now in this moment and worship Jesus. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.